I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here, just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, If you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $6.95 $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, January 28th, 2013. Ready to start off another broadcast week of Discernment Radio. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. All right, let's talk about something I'm working on here. Um, I'm going to be traveling to Norfolk, Virginia uh, the, for a uh, basically a, a public lecture that I'll be giving on a Saturday after, uh, morning and a, into the afternoon at a local Lutheran church in Norfolk, G- Virginia. I'll be giving details as to the time and place in the, in the days ahead. And um, working on this lecture that I'm going to be doing, you know, kind of laying out the basics of discernment in such a way – that it will help those people who attend and, and, and others. I'm hope, hopefully the audio will be of a good quality that I could use them for uh, the program here. But one of the things I am noticing and it is that um, what is one of the fundamental needs that is out there re- in order to help people understand how false teachers are deceiving them is ba- a good layman's level crash course in the basics of biblical hermeneutics. Does that, does that make sense? And so I think I'm going to be using the occasion for this lecture that I'm going to be giving in uh, Norfolk to uh, lay out um, systematically just good primary rules for biblical hermeneutics that will help you in such a way that'll help you understand scripture better and help you understand how people are twisting God's word. I, I was just on uh, Brandon House's program um, today, this afternoon, and we were discussing 
an article put out uh, by a Dr. Reagan. Hang on a second. Let me see if I can find his name. Yeah, here it is. Dr. David R. Reagan. And uh, he's got a, a ministry that he... Apparently he writes for, but what's one of the things very clear? Uh, yeah, here's Lamb and Lion Ministries is the is the name of Dr. Reagan's outfit, and he recently published an article called "The Nature of Hell: An, uh, an Eternal Punishment or Eternal Torment." And one of the things that was really clear as I was uh, as I was working through the article uh, in order to uh, help the Brannon's listeners understand what went wrong with this uh, article, it, one of the things that was really clear is that uh, Dr. David R. Reagan has no training in in basic biblical hermeneutics, and that. Uh, in fact, on Brannon's program, I laid out the fact that uh, Dr. Reagan broke no less than five core uh, hermeneutical uh, principles uh, in his arguing that that hell isn't eternal, but uh, he basically argued uh, the annihilationist position, uh, but he changed the name of it. You know, he, you know, he, uh, he calls it conditionalist viewpoint, but it's not conditionalism. It's, uh, this is straight up annihilationism. And, and there were five primary rules that he just broke blatantly. And, um, and since so many people who are pastors who should know these principles of hermeneutics, who should be trained in hermeneutics, are not following them, I think the right thing to do is to basically say, all right, if pastors aren't going to, uh, and people who are doing ministry aren't going to apply sound biblical hermeneutics, this is something I'm trained in. And uh, I, I'm looking at my text here. I, I, I think. What I'm going to be doing at this uh, in, in this lecture, at least part of what I'm going to be doing, is laying out some good lay-level uh, hermeneutics that will help you understand Scripture better and help you identify what goes wrong with uh, with people who are twisting God's word. Because this is kind of like a recurring theme in some of the stuff that I've seen going on. Uh, you know, it, it just—it's as if, well, the people either are ignorant of these uh, of hermeneutics altogether, or they're uh, ignorant of sound hermeneutics, or are purposely ignoring them. For instance, uh, the uh, Stephen Shock thing, where he, you know, basically is his argument in favor of uh, homosexuality, you know, he wasn't looking at the primary text regarding this. He was looking at texts that have nothing to do with the topic and make using those to obliterate uh, the clear teachings of Scripture. This is a common tactic used by Bible twisters. And so uh, just something that I've been thinking about, I think a good section laying out the basics of hermeneutics you know so that you know them so that when you hear a bible twister you go yeah the reason why that's wrong is this i think that will be a, a resource that'll be helpful for people so um just i'm thinking out loud here is basically what i'm doing here and if you uh, have an opportunity to uh, uh go to uh, worldviewweekend.com and uh, download Today's episode of Brandon House's program, uh, you know, do so uh, before, <laughs> before it's too late because uh, his archives uh, disappear behind a, a paywall, uh, I think within a week or so. So you you, you want to download it. But, uh, we, you know, I, I walk through on Brandon's program uh, what these five principles are that were broken by David Reagan in his, in his putting forward of – of annihilationism and basically say you can't, you can't do this biblically, you know, clear passages govern. That's just how it, it goes. But anyway, so that's what I'm thinking about. <laughs> just, you know, thinking out loud here, it's like, I'm trying to find, you know, it's, 
one of the tricks, it's not even a trick, it's one of the difficulties in in doing this radio program is that I want to find ways of getting good materials and lectures into the hands of people that in the long run will you know help them to protect themselves from being deceived as well as um as as well as te- help them teach others to not be deceived so i you know that's kind of what i'm doing <sighs> all right so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of fighting for the faith and by the way i will be giving more details on the norfolk virginia lecture that's uh, coming up so those of you on the eastern seaboard if you want to come down to norfolk virginia on the weekend of March second, uh, you know I will be lecturing. You know, basically, I think at the uh, nine, ten, eleven, a good five or six hours of lecture. Um, you know, because I just love talking to myself. <laughs> Please come out so that I have somebody to talk to. But uh, it, it's it's going to be uh, it, there'll be a lunch in the middle of the whole thing, and uh, so I'll get again. I'll get you details shortly. So if you want to attend, you can. And uh, the the real focus is going to be on the basics of. Um, discernment but there'll you know there's there's it's good stuff that will you know, basically put into your hands uh more directly some of the tools that i use uh to do what i do here at fighting for the faith so that you know that's the idea you, you hopefully you'll find it profitable okay so here's what we're going to do on today's edition of fighting for the faith we have a chuck pierce update now since chuck pierce is one of the major one of the 12 apostles of the new apostolic reformation we have a chuck pierce Update, and so we'll be using the Pinky and the Brain update music for this Chuck Pierce update. But he traveled to Scotland, and I covered this at the Museum of Idolatry, and apparently bestowed on Scotland some something very important, at least of prophetic significance. So we're going to talk about that. And since we're <laughs> since we're there, um, I'll be playing for you some, <laughs> some of the latest prophecies from Chuck Pierce to see if you can make heads or tails of this. <laughs> <laughs> what this man is talking about. Anyway, so that's what you know, that that's what we're going to be doing before the first break and then after we come back from the break, we are going to be doing a Brian McLaren update and um he recently on the Homebrewed Theology or the Homebrewed Christianity website. Yeah, anybody who claims to be brewing their own Christianity uh, you got to be careful of those people. But yeah, homebrewedchristianity.com. Uh, there's a YouTube video of uh, Brian McLaren being interviewed by Trip Fuller. And uh, and the name of the, uh, the the blog post is entitled Brian McLaren's Evolution on Homosexuality in the Church. I find the uh, his statements to be interesting and uh, worthy of passing along to you in the sense of you need to hear what he's saying so you know how to inoculate yourself against these types of arguments because they're not biblical arguments. And uh, and <laughs> what at least he's not holding back anymore regarding his uh, gay affirming view. And then in hour number two here at Fighting for the Faith, we're going to be going back to potential church and uh, listening to another sermon um, in the Success in 3D sermon series there at Potential Church. And unfortunately, yeah, Potential Church, is they're no longer a church. They're just a church in Potential. And every time I check in with them, every single time I check in with them, they, uh, you know, they show me that they're just not ready to be a church and um, because of the false teaching there. In fact, the, uh, they brought in a guest speaker. Apparently, Troy Gramling has uh, taken a hiatus. He's uh, he's taking a little bit of time to refresh his soul. I don't know if it's a sabbatical or not. Um, hopefully, he's decided to take some time and go to seminary 
because <laughs> he really needs to. Uh, but uh, they, they have some guy that they brought in from uh, the Pacific region by the name of Pastor Sergio. And this is literally just, um, well, it's a mess. It's That's all I can say. It is a theological, biblical crime that we're going to be listening to Pastor Sergio give there at uh, Potential Church. So, yeah, you know, since Troy Grambling isn't around, I, I keep tuning in thinking I'm going to hear Troy Grambling, but I keep getting these other people, and they're so bad it's worth passing along as an example of what not to do, that that's what we're going to be doing on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Um, so um, now i got to warn you, uh, t- today's episode is, at least this first part is so weird that um, I must insist that you take every necessary precaution to protect your physical well-being um, for what it is that you're about to hear. So I, I find it necessary to play our standard warning. Here we go. Warning. Fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. What do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain is Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. An laboratory mice, the genes have disliced. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. They'll take over the world. The pinky and the brain, yes, pinky and the brain. The twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. They're pinky, they're pinky and the brain, 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 brain. All right, so that's our uh, update music for whenever we're introducing somebody from the New Apostolic Reformation like Cindy Jacobs or Chuck Pierce, who's one of the 12 apostles, global apostles of the New Apostolic Reformation that are out there trying to take over the world using their seven-mountain mandate. Um, Over at the Museum of Idolatry, um, I happen to be the curator of the Museum of Idolatry, which is the world's largest collection of artifacts of apostasy. It is an Internet-based museum if you have not visited the Museum of Idolatry, I strongly recommend that you do so, but take proper precautions after you know while visiting the uh, museum. Um, you can find it at alittleleven.com. And yeah, I know, people tell me they sh- it should be renamed A Lot Eleven. <laughs> I've been putting this, in fact, I've been curating this museum for years now. I mean, more years than I've actually been doing Fighting for the Faith. So 
it's one of the it's it's one of these <clears throat> websites that I have a love hate relationship with, mostly hate. And so there are times when I feel up to the task of putting in new exhibits at the Museum of Idolatry, and then there are times when I I can't. I just psychologically I can't do it. I need a break from it. And so you'll notice that as you peruse the exhibits there, that there are times when it just there's like exhibit after exhibit after exhibit, you know, month after month. And then all of a sudden I stop, I take a break. That's me recharging my mental batteries and then, then holding my nose and holding my breath and then diving right back into it. But over the weekend, I put up a, uh, an exhibit in the museum of idolatry, which is a screenshot taken from Chuck Pierce's Twitter stream. And, um, the headline over at the, uh, museum of idolatry reads, Scotland received a, a what? That's the name of it. And uh, let me, in fact, let me read to you what I wrote over at the Museum of Idolatry. Here's what it says. Congratulations to those of you living in Scotland. The apostle Chuck Pierce was in Scotland this week and apostolically, apostolically bestowed a fire mantle on Scotland. Yeah, that's right. A fire mantle. In fact, let me read the uh, the tweet from Chuck Pierce. It says, Fantastic gathering in Edinburgh. Chuck went in as a true prophet of God and confirmed much to this nation, and Scotland received a fire mantle. Now, we're not sure what a fire mantle is. Um, uh, we have no clue what a fire mantle even looks like or how one goes about using a fire mantle. In fact, we're, uh, we have no idea whether or not a fire mantle is dangerous or if you need a license in Scotland in order to operate a fire mantle. But, hey, I mean, who are we to despise such an important gift as a fire mantle? I mean, sounds like a fire mantle would be useful during the long, cold Scottish winter nights. So, those of you living in Scotland, congratulations on receiving your fire mantle from Chuck Pierce. I'm May you use it wisely and powerfully and to great effect whatever a fire mantle is i mean that's (laughs) yeah so congratulations those of you living in scotland you now have a fire mantle given to you by chuck pierce now if you think that's crazy okay have you ever heard chuck pierce quote prophesy (laughs) well if not you're in for a treat here at fighting for the faith I now present to you from just this past December, December of 2012. So, I mean, this is just a little over a month old. Chuck Pierce waxing eloquent and giving us some prophetic insights from the Holy Spirit that you couldn't get anywhere else. Not your Bible, not any other prophet anywhere, but Chuck Pierce. So, see if this makes any more sense than Scotland receiving a fire mantle. Here we go. We say over Shreveport, Louisiana, what got blocked in the 40s, we say we want it back this year. We say, and I, I don't, I just see it by the Spirit. What got stopped in 43, we say bring it into a fullness in 2013. Right on. Yeah, what was blocked in 43, bring it into fullness, and I'm all for that. Yeah. Now that's uh, Chuck Pierce supposedly speaking in tongues, but that's actually a clear violation of Scripture. First mm-hmm. uh, Corinthians chapter fourteen. This is what the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says. 
If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three, and each speak in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Yeah, so what uh, what Chuck Pierce did right there, that little burbling in the supposedly tongues, that's absolutely prohibited by God the Holy Spirit in church because there's no one there to interpret. Yeah, let me back that up so you can hear it. I mean, this is one of the most common violations of the gifts. <laughs> Like I said, that's flat out forbidden by Scripture. I say I am beginning to move above you in the heavens. I see something going on right now. The minute you stood up, the Lord says something is moving now. Yeah, I I see something going on right now. I see a false prophet deceiving people. That's what I see. In the heavens above you. I see it looks like a sight. A, a harvest sight, and I see it swirling in the heavens. The Lord says, my people in the... You see a big swirling in the heavens. You sure that's not the creation of a tornado that's happening there? This region are creating a movement in the heavens to cause what has been blocked in the second heaven to be cut loose. Okay, so you had a blockage in the, seven, in the second heaven... And you needed surgery to cut it loose. Got it. Okay. And I say to you, I positioned you to walk into the harvest fields. And I say, as you cry out over these next eight months, this that is moving in the heavens above you will come down and begin to clear out the earth and change the earth realm. I decree right now. So there, it's the thing in the spirit's going to come out and clear out the earth realm. <sighs> this would be very useful if we can harness this to like, you know, clear out my closet, uh, not closet, but my uh, garage in the spring, you know, but right before I have to start mowing the lawn again, you know. Oh, what has been held up will now be loose. Just cry and say, Lord, I want it all. What am I asking God for again? I'm really confused. Just cry out right now things that you knew God wanted to do that got stopped, even in your area, even in your bloodline. Decree right now is being unlocked again. Again, I have no clue what you're talking about. And there's people singing in the background. Pretty much pandemonium and mayhem has broken loose here. Um, None of this makes any lucid sense whatsoever. Now, right now, we're going to worship for a moment. Just let the worship of God come. We don't have to do things the way we're used to doing. Let worship rise up. Let's worship for a moment and let the word of the Lord start coming down upon us in this. All of you at home. Let the word of the Lord start coming down upon us like a bear trap. Is that what? Just worship and let the word of the Lord come down. What does that even mean? How could I block the word of the Lord from coming down if it decided to come down anyway? Decree that what's been held back in your area will be unlocked. 
What area are you referring to? Like my geographic neighborhood? Things that have been held back? I don't know what this even means. Decree that God has positioned you for a time such as this to bring forth what got captured in last season. What did God capture in the last season? I mean, if it's a, you know, one of those exotic animals, maybe I'm, I don't think I want God to let it loose after he's captured it. Lord, we thank you. Let the worshipers arise. Let the sons and the daughters sing. All right, so they're going to take a musical worship interlude. Um, let's just fast forward through the worship on to the next prophecy set here now father we declare all blindness of religion in this region that is stopping us from seeing our portion we say let go in jesus name so they're unloosing religious blindness that keeps us from our portion mm-hmm. we will see let go, let go, let I mean, serious, this is like the sentence, blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. Yeah, there's a, a noun and a verb and other parts of speech in there, but the sentence makes no sense. Let go, let go, let go. We will see. We, we declare see. all blockades that religion has built between the gifts of this region. We say fall in Jesus' name. So you blockades need to fall because of religion in the region. Apparently they can just spontaneously sing about these things that they're decreeing and declaring. We say fall. We say fall. Ask him right now to read. Set a new border for your inheritance. So we need a new border for our inheritance. Yeah, apparently your old border that just wasn't doing the job. So you needed to have a spiritual reset for your border for what? The Lord would say, I've come to the end of a season. And now I'm going to reset the border of the vision of my house. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the season, he resets the border of the vision. Of his house. In this region. In, in that region, of course. I say I am changing borders and I am changing the way that the enemy has narrowed the move of my spirit. I- uh-huh. So you got to change the borders because the enemy has narrowed the move of the spirit. I say to you, I brought you here tonight uh-huh. to shift the border lines in the spirit and decree a new portion will come. Okay, so we got some borderline shifting in the spirit so that the... Uh, oh, this is confusing. Shout, new portions new are going to come. Yeah, new portions are going to come. You know, hopefully, since I'm trying to lose weight, smaller portions will come. We are the knights that say new. Yeah, 
Okay. Um, have any of you been able to figure out what any of that meant? Because um, I'm utterly lost. Now, let me fast forward a little bit. Maybe we can make sense of the next prophetic segment of this, whatever it is. Will begin to say, I am dreaming again of what I heard in past seasons. And the young will rise up and say, and we're prophesying through song what needs to be prophesied. I say to you, this will become a new place for the sound of my spirit to explode, saith the Lord. So the Lord is saying explosions, some kind of explosions. Dream again, dream again, dream again. Yeah, I'm glad they're singing about the dream again part, not the explosions part. Can you imagine how that, how weird that would sound? Explosions, explosions. Dream again, dream again, dream again, dream again, dream again. say I had favor on you in one season and that favor has seemed to shift and be blown away but so if God had favor on you in a previous season it shifted and sadly it got blown away oh this is horrible now I say a greater favor is blowing in so because favors who knew they were wind powered at the Lord and a greater acknowledgement is blowing in yeah because the wind-powered favor thing is greater when it... <laughs> and I say even the war of this region will come alive and my people will rise above that which has resisted my move in days ahead. And it will be known that those things on the river that are for one thing will be used for my spirit in days ahead. Well, that one got them all worked up. Everyone's cheering for that. So the things that were on the river of the... And they're spontaneously breaking out into song regarding receiving this favor that's on the river of the broken border thing in the new season that, well, yeah. Why is it that anybody thinks that this is really the Holy Spirit of Scripture? It doesn't sound anything like him. Yeah, apparently the the Holy Spirit, who literally inspired the Bible to be written, since doing that has just become a, well, bumbling idiot. He's not capable of actual coherent, lucid sentences anymore. It took everything he had to get the Bible out, and now he's just going... And I say, awaken, awaken, for as prayer goes up over these next eight months, there will be a new evangelistic move 
in my church, saith the Lord. And you say, what are you saying? For I thought the good news was for the lost out in the field. I say in this year of kinsman redeemer, I will awaken those that are not awakened within my house. So those of you sleeping in God's house, get expect to be awoken from the kinsman redeemer. In other words, you don't want to be sleeping when he comes around. And the <clears throat> minstrels have broken into spontaneous song, telling people to awake. Watch as religious structures come alive and houses that were once used one way where my spirit comes in and meetings began to occur and what was cold, fire comes in again. And what was alive, what was dead, life comes in again. I say, don't look at the structure for I will form a new structure in this 120 mile region and I say to you it will be heard that the house of this region is now moving as one to overtake the enemy of the land apparently there by the way he's in Shreveport Louisiana um <clears throat> yeah apparently those folks that, that living in Shreveport they have an enemy I dude. yeah one step by step and the minstrels now spontaneously speak into song yard by yard we will begin to move as one just if you have designed oh God one heart one mind one heart one mind one heart one mind, one heart, one mind, one heart, one mind, one heart. Mm-hmm. Okay, we got it. One mind. Oh no, here comes some more prophecy. One heart, one mind, one heart. So I say to Monroe, get ready, for I am going to plow through you in a new way. Uh-oh, Monroe's getting ready for some plowing. And I say the seeds that have been held captive in your region. So apparently somebody's holding seeds captive in the West Monroe area. I say I will overturn and there will be a sprouting forth and it will be heard that Monroe has come alive for my name, saith the Lord. Okay, so those of you living in, the, in Monroe... Those seeds that have been held captive apparently are just going to spontaneously sprout and stuff. And yeah, uh, <laughs> had enough. Good night. What a bunch of nonsensical nonsense. That was just bloviate. That's not prophecy. That's bloviation. Good gravy. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. 
we come back, we're going to be listening to Brian McLaren discussing his evolution on homosexuality and then sermon review on hour number two. Don't miss, we don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Because all the letters of the Bible are red letters, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. You're listening to the Emergence Sports Network here on Pirate Christian Radio. You've tuned in just in time to catch today's Emergence Ball match between the Pomo Bombers and the Majestic Mystics. Today's match is proudly brought to you by Rex Quando's Bible Pants. There's the buzzer, and they're off. McLaren dribbles a pigskin down to first base, takes out his putter, and... Whoa! Jones checks McLaren against the boards, and then passes to Paget in left field. But wait, Fools Weber is charging from the 10-yard line, and she slammed Ducks from the foul line! That's a birdie! The crowd is going wild! When was the last time you saw something like that? I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. Okay, play is resuming. There's Rollins. He serves to Bell. Bell snatches the snitch. And then Hail Mary passes to McLaren. McLaren is in the end zone. Oh, and he slaps it back to third base. Tickle grabs her wicket and then punts one out into center court. It looks like Jones and Pageant are double-teaming Bowles Weber. He doesn't have a shot, so she slices one off into the rough. McLaren is there to make the safety, but Pageant grabs McLaren's face mask and then throws down to second base. What a brilliant save that was. Jones takes out his driver, then sends one out to midfield. Tickle headbutts the ball and then sends it back to McLaren. He vaults over the pummel horse. Oh, and he sticks the landing! Unfortunately, the degree of difficulty wasn't that high, but McLaren racked up seven brownie points. Tickle sets up for the kickoff. But wait, Jones is trying to steal third base. Tickle slap shots the ball back to Bulls Weber, but Jones is safe. He's safe. That means it's going to be third down with 44 meters to the pin. Looks like this match is going to go into sudden death. You can register now for the 10th annual Branson Worldview Weekend in beautiful Branson, Missouri, Friday night, April 26th, Saturday, April 27th, and Sunday morning, April 28th, 2013. Full details are at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. That's worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. Speakers this year will include Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis. We'll also have speaking with us for the first time his son-in-law, Bodie Hodge, along with Pastor Jesse Johnson, a regular guest here on Worldview Weekend Radio. 
Radio. We'll also be joined by Chris Pinto with a brand new presentation. Mike Gendron will also bring a new presentation, as will Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. We'll also be joined this year for the first time at a Branson Worldview Weekend by Jason Carlson and Jared Carlson. We'll also be joined for the first time in a conference setting by Carl Tykrib. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. We have a family rate and group rate. You can go ahead and purchase your tickets now and receive priority upfront seating when you purchase your tickets now at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. And join us April 26, 27, and 28 in Branson, Missouri. The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. If Chuck Pierce offers to give you a fire mantle, you might want to avoid it because those fires on that mantle go all the way down to, well, the pit of hell. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. If you don't already support us financially, then please consider doing so by joining our crew. Are you a member of the crew yet? Well, if not, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Right there in the middle of the homepage, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One of them says, join our crew. Click on it. And when you do that, what you're doing is you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month. That's it. Just $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of fighting for the faith in pirate Christian radio. It happens automatically. It's really cool. Once you set it up, it just occurs. And the more people that join our crew, what it does is it takes, it helps level out the giving month after month after month so that we don't have these, you know, swinging peaks and valleys kind of thing. That's not a good way to run a low budget operation like fighting for the faith in pirate Christian radio. So if you're not already a member, join our crew. It's a great way to support us. And of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or make your gift payable to fighting for the faith and then send it to post office box five zero eight Fishers, Indiana zip code four six zero three eight moving along. Time for a Brian McLaren update. This is Brian McLaren singing his song entitled Majestic Mystery. He still hasn't figured out anything about God except for he's really mysterious and you can't know much about him. 
Can you imagine going through your life thinking that, oh, because of postmodernism, that you just need to assume a humble posture of uncertainty and regarding God? That's, by the way, not humility. That's something different. My small mind cannot explain I can only hold it open. All right, I feel my brain going to mush. Okay, uh, so that's our Brian McLaren update music sung by Brian McLaren. Okay, Brian McLaren, like I said earlier on the program today, has appeared on a YouTube interview conducted by um, Trip Fuller of Homebrewed Christianity, which is an emergent um, web podcast blog place. And, well, anyway, he's decided to openly discuss his evolution on homosexuality, and I find this to be educational. Why? Because he explains how it is that he had a change of mind regarding this, and it gets to the heart of the matter regarding how you view the scripture. Yeah, here, listen in. Here's Trip Fuller interviewing Brian McLaren. Google said you were an evangelical, a famous one, like Time Magazine thought so. (laughs) And they're apparently mad at you for participating in your son's gay marriage. How can you share the jer- your journey, or can you share how your journey with him in relationship to the church and Bible changed over time and lessons you've learned? Okay, now if you don't if you don't recall this, um, it's been a big brouhaha uh, that uh, Brian McLaren presided at one of the ceremonies for his son's gay marriage. Um, well, as I said, I grew up in a very traditional uh, background regarding the Bible. So uh, homosexuality was well, actually wasn't even talked about. It was just, it was a sin. And it was a bad enough sin you didn't even talk about. It. You know, that I always had questions about that because when I was in high school, I, I found out several of my closest friends were gay. Okay, now listen to what he just said. When I was in high school, I found out that some of my closest friends were gay. Now, hate to break his bubble, but plain up, straight up, gay is not a gender. Homosexual is not a human gender. Okay, God created humans, male and female. Now, there's there's one of these things out there, you know, the, the emergent types and the gay affirming liberals. In the visible church, I don't think they're actually part of the invisible church, but the visible church, part of the visible church, you know, they're always, you know, basically bashing people. And one of their primary slogans is this, well, Jesus never said anything about, you know, negative about homosexuals. Um, Yeah, actually he did. Okay. Number one, that's a bad Christology. Okay. Um, Because who is Jesus? Jesus is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. And so all of those Levitical laws that were revealed by God that say, thus saith the Lord, that Moses got directly from his little face-to-face encounter with Yahweh, who was he talking to? Answer, he was talking to God. There's only one God, and who's Jesus? Jesus is God. 
Okay, so this canard, this this really lame argument that Jesus never said anything against it, that's just not true because Jesus is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. And whether you like it or not, you need to get over it. And he also happens to be the same God. Okay, there's only one God. He also happens to be the same God with the Holy Spirit. Not that there's three gods, there's only one God. But God the Holy Spirit is also God. He's also God the one true God. So we know that since all scripture is God breathed, all of the texts that we have in scripture regarding uh, the sin of homosexuality and homosexual passions and lust and things like that, it was God who spoke them. And Jesus is the same God with the Holy Spirit. Got it? But then here's the other thing. Okay, let me read to you a passage from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. Okay, here's what it says, starting at verse 3. The Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Jesus here is quoting from Genesis chapter 2, as if it's bona fide for real accurate history. Okay, God made them what? Male and female. And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but what? One. They're only one flesh. What God therefore has joined together, let man not separate. Okay. So here, Jesus affirms the historicity of Genesis, affirms that God created Adam and Eve, and that God created the male and female, and that the man, the male, will leave his father and mother and hold fast to or cleave to his wife. Got it? So here, Jesus affirms that he, being God, made humans to be male or female. Gay is not a gender. And if somebody is experiencing same-sex attractions, that is a temptation to sin, not an indication that you are a different gender than male or female. And this is what scripture makes it very clear. Romans chapter 1, I'll start at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them. God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that men are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but their but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Therefore, because of their suppression of the truth, here's the therefore, verse 24. So therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their own hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather 
than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Why would they be contrary to nature? Well, real simple. There's a structural issue there. Okay, Like I've pointed out, male and female are not Gnostic concepts. You don't spiritually learn that you are male or female. Okay, You can see it. You can look at it. You can hold it. You can touch it. Okay, I don't, I'm not trying to be overly you know, gross here or anything like that. But you are made male or female. End of story. This is not. This is not up for grabs, or it's not. It's not ambiguous. Okay, you're one or the other. Okay, so if you are having attractions or lust towards somebody who shares the same sex that you have, God says this is a dishonorable passion, and it's unnatural and contrary to nature. It's contrary to how God made you, and Jesus affirms that God, he being God, made us male and female, and that the man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, okay? Then he goes on, verse 27, and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Got it? It's plain and simple. Okay. So gay is not a gender. It's not plain. It's straight up. You're either male or female. So here McLaren is saying, when I was in high school, I discovered that some of my close friends were gay. No, gay is not a gender. What you discovered is that some close friends of yours were dealing with or being subjected to or, or entertaining lust contrary to nature towards people, other people who were of the same gender as them. That's what you discovered. You're either male or female, gay is not a gender. So let me back this up and see. Already, you can you know hear the language. Don't grant the premise. Gay is not a gender. Always had questions about that because when I was in high school, I, I found out several of my closest friends were gay, and I just knew that what the church said about them wasn't true. The church said they were. So I just knew. That's his argument. I just knew that what the church was saying about them wasn't true. In other words, what God's word says isn't true. Making a choice, this was a lifestyle, all that kind of crap. And it just obviously wasn't true. So I always had doubts about that traditional view. I always had doubts about that traditional, it's just a view, it's just a traditional view. But he's enlightened now and moved beyond that. And I think I tried to sort of play the middle by not contradicting it and by always trying to treat gay people with respect. The, the church I pastored, we always had a lot of gay people. But I, I didn't really feel I was ready to stick my neck out. And I didn't really feel I, I hadn't gone through a rethinking of that Bible as constitution thing. Did you hear that? See, I hadn't gone through that whole rethinking of as Bible as constitution. That's from his books, okay? See, as soon as I got rid of the idea that the Bible is a constitution telling me what I can and can't do, but instead I viewed it as a library of people who had encounters with God and, and that I can, you know, I was in conversation then with the same deity that they were in conversation with, that no longer were these passages that say that this is an abomination, that I, I could just chuck that. I don't have to listen. No, 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 this is, you know, see what he did? 
he just completely recast the authority of God's word and how it's binding so that he can claim that he takes it seriously. But see, I just I just don't view it as constitution. So none of the things in there that prohibit or say that it's sinful, that's just not true. It's all a game, isn't it? And this is exactly what scripture warns against. Okay? Who okay, let me go back to this passage again. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and of righteous unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's what McLaren is doing here. He's flat out warring against, suppressing, coming up with some clever construct so that he can suppress, ignore, vilify, and just shut to the side what the Bible says on this. He's engaging in truth suppression. So I, I, I was sort of just in no man's land on it for a long time. I, don't, I was part of a terrible experience where I unintentionally outed somebody. Um, our church, this was in the early days of the internet, and our church had a listserv. Uh, you remember what those are? So, uh, and uh, there was a, a gay guy in the church who would send me posts, and then I would post for him. So in a way, I was doing for him what I was talking about before. I was trying to make sure that he got a hearing, that he was a human being, but he didn't want to, he wasn't out. So, you know, I would post for him. And uh, people were really appreciating the chance. This was, I don't know when this was, probably late 90s. So it was really early on, you know, in the world of the internet, maybe the mid or late 90s when people are just finding out that you can talk about this stuff online. And back in those days, there was something, I forget there was a name for it, but it would have all this tracking information at the bottom of an email. And when I copied his message, I didn't realize that that tracking information was at the bottom of it. It was really one of the worst days of my life because I... Oh, I just felt, I felt so horrible. But of course, he felt a million times more horrible. And he was so gracious to me. And he, you know, I mean, it was very, he was very good to me. I mean, just the irony was, he was being, you know, gay people were being painted as the bad guys. And here, he was incredibly gracious to me when I, and I was trying to help him, but, you know, I made an honest but stupid mistake. Um, and, um, so I gradually started changing, uh, and my views about the Bible were changing all through the 90s. And Did you hear that? His views on the Bible were changing all through the 90s. Now, this leads to a very thorny question and a problematic issue. Do you remember when Brian McLaren's generous orthodoxy was published and put forward and sold, you know, by Leadership Network and the Willow Creek Association. And he was teaching at um, at, at Willow Creek, and and he and and Rick Warren worked hand in hand on that book, The Emerging Church, and all this kind of stuff. Every one of those books were published in the early two thousands, and yet by his own admission. It was in the 90s that he was retooling 
his theology. Hmm. Um, finally, I reached the point where I just said, this is crazy. Christians use the Bible to defend slavery. Now, we- now here, let, let me back this up. So here's the argument. I'm going to show you how you can defeat this one. It's pretty simple. My views about the Bible were changing all through the 90s. And um, finally, I reached the point where I just said, this is crazy. Christians use the Bible to defend slavery. Now we know that was stupid. Christians use the Bible to defend superiority of men. Now we know that was stupid. Um, and this is another case. So I, I Okay, so that, here's the argument. Christians in the past used the Bible to defend slavery. Absolutely true. Christians in the Bible in the past used the Bible to... Human superiority. I'm not even sure what that is. I think he's talking about imperialism here. True. Absolutely true. Okay. So therefore, they're wrong about homosexuality. It doesn't actually follow. Okay. Let me let me give you a different um, scenario altogether. Let's pretend you and I have a friend, and his name is Bill. And Bill has decided that he, he's fallen in love with his secretary. Okay. And so we go up to Bill and we say, Bill, Bill, you're married. You have children. You know, you're, you're having the hots for your sec- secretary, and, and this is going to lead to formal caboodling. You're going to end up committing adultery. And Bill says, I, you know, I am sick and tired of people taking the Bible and telling me of all of those passages that say adultery is a sin. Okay? I know in my heart that my amorous feelings towards my secretary are godly and good because God is love. And plus, in the past, people, you know, Christians used the Bible to say that slavery was wrong. And in the past, Christian used, Christians used the Bible to basically use, to justify all kinds of unjustifiable things. And we all know that those things are wrong. Therefore, I know in my heart that I don't, I, that Christians are wrong about adultery too. See it? Just change the subject and all of a sudden you realize, yeah, it's not a very good argument. Okay? And by the way, historically, there are some very good theologians and scholars of the 19th century who were basically saying those people defending the American form of slavery, you know, this racial-based slavery that they had against Africans uh, who were being basically stolen, you know, literally hijacked, stolen, you know, brought over the Atlantic and then sold on the auctioning block, you know, on the slave block in the United States. They were using, there were a whole bunch of people saying those people who are trying to justify this from the scripture, they are not doing this correctly. It's based upon a fallacious and false argument and a false understanding of scripture. There were very good men who were doing that. So the issue is not how people have abused the Bible to justify the unjustifiable. The question is, does the Bible really truly support the type of slavery that came into being in the United States of America? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay? Evil institution. In fact, the Bible is really a book that is really not promoting slavery when you'd really take the time to examine the topic. Okay? However, that being the case, the scriptures also make it clear that its primary purpose is to make you wise unto salvation, which is why Christians can be told, obey your masters as you would the Lord. 
Okay? That's what's going on here. It's not justifying slavery, but understanding that you can be a Christian and still be a slave, and that in that situation, you need to consider it the vocation that God has put you into temporarily, of which you will be extracted soon when you die. Okay, that's the idea. That's not justification for slavery as a practice itself. Okay, so... Yes, there's people who've used the Bible to basically justify all kinds of unjustifiable and obnoxious and repulsive things. That doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't have things that, to which it does speak to and speak to correctly. What it does, what you're talking about here are people who are manipulating and abusing the scripture and, and, and have done so. So the question coming back here are people who are saying that homosexuality is sinful. Okay, are they saying that in order to suppress and repress people? No. Is this is the scripture uh, scriptures ambiguous on this topic? Not at all. Scriptures are as clear on this topic as they are on the sin of adultery, as they are on the sin of lying or stealing or you blaspheming God's name. Scriptures couldn't be clearer. They're absolutely clear on this topic. The issue it, that, but by the way, the the bigger issue, and this is, it's actually good news that Christians stand by what the scriptures say on this, because Christ came only for sinners. That's what Jesus Himself said. The well don't need a physician, but the sick do. Okay, He came to seek and save the lost, to seek and save sinners, those who. Are, who are brought to repentance and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, are saved. They're saved from the soon-to-be-revealed wrath of God and understanding that you are a sinner and that you sin against God in many ways is a necessary step that we all end up going through on our way to salvation. Okay? Doesn't matter if the sins that you struggle with or have entertained or committed are sins of the flesh that pertain to heterosexual sins or homosexual sins. Christ bled and died for all of them. So therefore, it's a good thing for us to say to those who are tempted and give in to temptation regarding same-sex sins that you are a sinner. And let me tell you the good news. Christ died for our sins. Repent and be forgiven. Sexual sin is slavery. It is not freedom. It's absolute slavery. And Christ has come to set us free from slavery to sin, death, and the devil of all stripes. Got it? We continue. A kind of a big moment came for me when Many of you would probably know, some of you would know the name Tony Campolo. And Tony's wife, Peggy, is, has been a major advocate for LGBT rights and gay marriage and so on. And Peggy uh, called me once. I don't know what year this would have been. Maybe, I was still in the pastorate, so, I don't know, maybe 2005, something like that. Maybe 2004. She called me and said, um, there's this gay church uh, and they want to invite you to speak. Um, the pastor's gay, and most people in the church are LGBT. And, um, and uh, but they're nervous because they don't want to put you in an awkward situation. But 
Are, would you? So I'm sort of the go-between. This is like junior high, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if they ask you, will, will you say yes? Yeah, to guess, no. And so I said, if they ask me, of course I will. I will say yes. So, you know, I did that, and uh, yeah, it must have been 2005 or 2006. <clears throat> um, and. Um, so I was, I, I sort of crossed that, now, I can't remember now, it was, it wasn't a long time after that that my son came out. And um, it was really funny because, I, you know, it wasn't, I hadn't, hadn't thought my, my son's gay, I just, it, you know, just had crossed my mind. In fact, the only time it crossed my mind is he had a girlfriend when he was in college and, and they were together once and I remember thinking, Gosh, I'm really a failure. I didn't teach my son how to treat a woman. <laughs> because I could just tell I could just tell that she really liked him and he was not treating her well. I could just tell he didn't get it, you know. And, and uh, that, but I didn't think he's gay. I just thought, man, he's got a lot to learn. So uh, and I remember feeling sorry for her, like thinking her feelings are gonna get hurt because he's just not that. So uh, my biggest concern when my son came out, because I had so many other people, I thought, oh, if my son has been in pain about this for 10 years and afraid to tell us, I mean, I just, that thought would just destroy me. So I asked him about it. He said, oh, no, Dad, I, I was just waiting till the right time. I was waiting till I was sure, and, you know, so no big deal. So I was really so there you go. He just wanted to make sure, you know, son wanted to make sure that he was gay. You're not. You're male or female. Gay is not a gender. And notice what he has to do in order to support it. He has to attack the scripture and what it clearly says and play gymnastics with it and basically find a way to, well, short circuit and suppress what scripture clearly says. Sad, because for so long, it was obvious to anybody who understood liberalism that Brian McLaren was attacking and deconstructing Christianity, and yet he was promoted by some of the premier, premier seeker-driven leaders as a man that we should be listening to who was asking the right questions and helping to bring about the church that was trying to emerge. Well, it's emerged, and you know what it is? Just the same old, tired, biblical, attacking, truth-suppressing, you know, semantic gymnastic liberalism. It's all it is. It's not biblical Christianity. It's something completely different. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Sermon review on the other side of the break. Going back to Potential Church. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? 
Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. Oh, hey, I didn't hear you come in. What was I just doing, you might ask? Well, I just conquered the outer rim planet of Pico Pond with my trusty double-barreled nuclear plasma cannon. Well, I just did in this video game. But how is it possible for someone like myself to play 13 hours straight and not get a headache? It's quite simple, really. It's because I wear gunners. When I'm rocking these babies, I'm unstoppable. They're not limited to just games, mind you. Oh, no! I rock the spreadsheet, the PowerPoint, the word processor, and when that's all done, I hop my T-16 and fry me some toasters. If you want to get in on the action, then head over to piratechristianradio.com forward slash gunners. You gotta see it to believe it. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. <laughs> I don't, man, this is one of the worst sermons I've heard. I mean, this guy straight up contradicts scripture like you wouldn't believe. And if what he says is true, no joke, if what he says in this is true in this sermon, then Jesus is a sinner and he's not our savior. That's how bad this sermon is. Stay tuned. Hang on, we gotta do this right though. Hang on, here we go. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's 
uh, man, I hate to call it this, sermon, masleration probably, comes to us via Potential Church in uh, Cooper City, Florida. Unfortunately, they're not a church anymore. They went from being a church to not being a church. Now they're just a church in Potentia. And every now and then I check in on them to see if they've achieved church status yet again. And they they get farther and farther away from it. And this sermon is just another example of that. Now, Troy Grambling is taking some time off to recharge his batteries. And so they've been bringing in pinch hitter pastors, uh, you know, to mm, do the preaching there. The name of the sermon, by the way, is entitled Success in 3D Part 2. The person delivering it, his name is Sergio de la Mora from Cornerstone Church of San Diego. Just get ready. I mean, this guy, like I said, if what he says is true partway through the sermon, then Jesus isn't our Savior. He's actually a sinner. That's how biblically illiterate this so-called pastor is. So let me just kill the music. Without any further ado, uh, here's Troy Grambling to introduce... Uh, Sergio de la Mora, who is pinch hitting for him on this particular Sunday there at uh, Potential Church. Here we go. Hey guys, welcome to Potential Church. We're in a series called Success in 3D. This week, de la Mora, Sergio, pastors out at Cornerstone, and we are talking about how to reach our God potential, about how to be everything that God's created us to be, and we're doing it with... You need to reach your God potential. Where does the Bible teach that? I don't recall reading anywhere in the Church Fathers or in Scripture about the importance of reaching your God potential. Some of the finest communicators, really, in all, not just the country, but all the world. Uh, Pastor Sergio, great book called Heart Revolution. I know he's working on a brand new book. He may tell you a little bit more about that, but it really is an honor for Steph and I to get to hang out with and uh, really get to know Pastor Sergio and his wife, Georgina. And, uh, man, they just have a great family, um, their kids. It really, really is. You're going to hear from a man who's not just speaking it, but living it out in so many different areas in his life. Their church is blowing up. I'm telling you, they got more campuses than I can count in Southern California, in Mexico, and... Uh, probably getting ready to kick one off maybe in Europe. Who knows? I can't wait to hear what God's doing in Pastor Sergio's life. I'm glad you're here. It's not by accident. Again, God has a word that's going to help you and I reach our potential, accomplish everything that he's created for us, and he's going to use Pastor Sergio to do it. Let's let him know how much we appreciate and honor them today. Come on, somebody. Hey, Potential Church. Hey, I'm going to ask you to stand with me today. Why don't you stand? Grab the hand of the person right next to you. I promise you they don't have cooties. They let all that go in 2012. All right, so he has the same uh, technique as Stephen Furtick. He starts off with sappy music at the front end of the sermon. Now, just so you know, on stage, there's a couch, okay? You just need to know that, that they're sitting right there in free space, right there on the stage is a couch. They're so clean and fresh. You guys look great. Why don't you tell the person next to you, you look wonderful today. And if it's appropriate, why don't you give them a kiss? If it's not, why don't you do it by faith, see what happens. Come on. <laughs> Let's pray together today. Lord, thank you so much for this great church. Thank you for our great pastors, Pastors Troy and Steph Gramley. We thank you that they're taking this time of rest and 
restoration of this great new year. Now I ask you, Lord God, that you will cause this service, Lord, to be that service that you see from heaven and that you smile over. Lord, we didn't come to hear the words of a man. We came to hear from you. So today, Holy Spirit, we give you permission to speak intuitively, speak powerfully. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone in agreement says, come on, everybody, give a praise today. We're going to have a great service. You're going to have a great year. You're going to love today's message. Listen, today... Yeah, I've already heard it, and I didn't like it the first time. I'm not looking forward to the second time. I want you to remain standing, take out your, your Bible, your iPhone, your iPad. Even if you have that thing called an Android, bring it out as well. <laughs> Go with me to the book of Luke, chapter 7. I'm so excited to talk to you today about the subject matter of you ain't ready to die. You know, today, Pastor Nathan, Pastor Roy talked about this couch. Now, so many people start off with good intentions. You start off with the intention to get off the couch or get into life, get off the couch, get into their marriage, get off the couch, get back into their business, get off the couch, get their studies back in. And lo and behold, days turn into weeks. We end up staying on the couch. Well, today, I want to inspire you to get off of this couch because you're not ready to die. You're going to study the story with me of a life of a young boy. I thought Christianity, at least biblical Christianity, was all about getting you ready to die. That's the whole point, right? Everyone thought he was dead and gone. In fact, they were crying, weeping. But Jesus intercepted his life, touched him. He came back to life. How many of you know whatever Jesus touches comes back to life again? It really is true. It's not how you got here. It's how you're going to leave that's going to matter. And I really believe this, that if you'll give Jesus an opportunity today, he's going to speak to you. You're not going to leave in the same condition that you came So let's read this story about this young boy that Jesus said to him, you are not ready to die. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. The Bible said, soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, somewhere near Cooper City. Come on, somebody. (laughs) And the funeral procession was coming out and Jesus was approaching the village gate. And the boy who had died was the only son of a widow. Many mourners from the village were with her. When Jesus saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. He said, don't cry. Then he walked over to the coffin, touched it. The bearer stopped. Jesus said, young man, get up. Everyone say, get up. Then the dead boy who sat up and he began to talk to those around him. Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, and they said, A mighty prophet has risen among us. We have seen the hand of God at work today. Well, today I believe the hand of God is going to work at Potential Church, and His hand's going to touch a mother, touch a father, touch a son, touch a daughter. Come on, give them praise today, because you ain't ready to die. You could be seated. I'm going to ask you to take out your notepad. Okay, I want to point something out here. Um, the, the, you weren't the dead person in the coffin. Just saying. Um, this is the story isn't about you. You're not in there. So, um, weird thing he's doing with this text. You know, paper, we gave you one of these. Because I really believe what you're going to write today is going to make an impact in your year. 
I'm going to ask you to write four things down today. But then I know God's going to ask you to write other notes down because God will speak to you. How many of you know there's a voice within my voice that will speak to you? Really, there's a voice within your voice that's going to speak to us. Um, where does the Bible say that? And today I really believe that God has you on his heart and on his mind. You don't have to live your life on this couch. You don't have to stay stuck on this couch. You can actually get off this couch because you're not ready to die. So if I'm on the couch, I'm getting ready to die? The Bible teaches us this story of this boy who was in his coffin. He was on his couch. And everyone was... No, he wasn't on a couch. He was stone cold dead. Carrying him, crying, saying, well, he's done, he's gone. We don't know what he did. We don't know if he was the troublemaker in the hood. We don't know if it was a guy who overdosed. We don't know if he was... They didn't have heroin overdoses in Judea at that time. We don't know if he... We just, what happened? We don't know if he was sick with the disease. But what we do know is that he was young and he died. And what we do know is that his mother was weeping and broken. And Jesus is walking along. He's just doing what he's doing. And the Bible teaches that all of a sudden he notices this crowd and he's interested and he walks up and he sees the mother crying. And the Bible says that he walks over to her because his heart overflows with compassion. Can I teach you something about the heart of God? Is that God will always be drawn to your pain. You got any Bible verses that say that? I'm not saying that God isn't drawn to our pain. If you're going to make an assertion like that, you actually have to teach it from a clear passage from Scripture. God is more drawn to your pain than your success. And if you've come here today and your heart is full of pain because perhaps 2012 wasn't everything that you thought it was going to be, I've come to tell you that God is moved by the pain in your life. He's drawn to it. Oftentimes we kind of want to hide our pain, compartmentalize it. Don't let no one touch it, see it, feel it. But what I love about Jesus, Jesus steps right into this woman's world and says, I know what you're going through. I know you're full of pain. But he says, I don't want you to cry. And he walks up to the coffin and he touches it. Now you need to know this. It was against every religious law for a priest, a prophet, anyone of spiritual significance to get close to a dead body. And for Jesus to walk up, and the Bible says the palm bearer stopped, and he touches the coffin. And the Bible says the little boy stands up and he begins to speak to everyone. I want to say this to you. Sometimes God will break the rules to get you. Okay, now listen carefully to this. I've been I referenced it prior to the uh, beginning of the sermon review. If what he's about to say is true, then Jesus is a sinner and he is not your savior. Listen. Sometimes God will break the rules to get you back to where you're supposed to be. When Jesus touched that coffin, if you could believe this with me, he broke every Levitical law there was. He Okay, let me play that again. Did you hear it? If Jesus broke the Levitical law, he is not your savior. He is a sinner in need of a savior himself. Sometimes God will break the rules to get you. Sometimes God will break the rules to get you back to where you're supposed to be. When Jesus touched that coffin, if you could believe this with me, he broke every Levitical law there was. He broke all the rules of purification. He broke all the rules to save this one boy. Did he? What passage says that? Hebrews 4 verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, 
but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet is without sin. Mm-hmm. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and 22. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. That's right, it says he committed no sin. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. There's no sin at all in Jesus. So why is it that Sergio here, um, Sergio de la Mora, a seeker-driven pastor, is claiming publicly that Jesus broke the Levitical law. Because if he broke the Levitical law, Jesus is not our Savior. Now, this requires us to then take a little bit of time here and maybe consider the passage itself. So what we're going to do is we're going to read it in context. I get, that means I'm going to go before the story in Luke chapter 7 and, and then read the story itself to take a look at what's going on. Okay, Luke chapter 7, verse 1. After he had finished all his sayings and in the hearing of the people, Jesus entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them, and when and, and he, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed, for I too am a man under authority." With the soldiers under me, I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Verse 11, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And then he came and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And the report about him spread through the whole, through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Now, it's significant to note here that verse 18 kind of it begins a new story regarding a report given 
to the disciples of John the Baptist regarding Jesus. Okay, so there are basically good biblical scholars who put the two stories together that we just read. The one about the centurion and the one about the people, the reaction of the people in Nain. Okay, now you'll notice here that there's no mention that Jesus broke any Levitical laws. The passage nowhere in this passage does it say anything about Jesus breaking any Levitical laws or becoming unclean. In fact, in John, the Gospel of John, Jesus challenges the Pharisees, "You know, which of you accuses me of sin?" Again, Jesus is perfectly sinless and he would have needed to cleanse himself had he broken the Levitical laws here. But see, the thing is, is that the boy was raised from the dead. So did Jesus really touch the dead? No, he didn't. Okay. And that's not even the point of what's going on here. Okay. The point is kind of a contrast, if you would, between two different reactions to Jesus. The one where the centurion basically acknowledges his unworthiness to even be in Christ's presence and says, just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus commending him saying, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Okay, But the reaction of the crowd in Nain is not, doesn't rise to that level. Okay, And here's what I mean. The people in Nain, this widow who lost her son, what's hearkened to their mind is probably something to the the effect of somebody like Elijah had shown up, right? So here we got this widow whose son was raised from the dead. What, What did Elijah do? He raised the son of a widow that he stayed with up in Zarephath, right? And their reaction was, okay, the people's reaction to Jesus' miracle, here's what it says, fear sees them all. They glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people. But Jesus is no mere prophet, is he? Okay. Now, another way to look at this is positively and basically say, to the, look at their reaction and go, okay, yes, this is pointing to Jesus in his office as prophet, priest, and king. So you can look at it that way as well. But they don't acknowledge Jesus as Messiah. Okay, this is different and in contrast to the reaction of the centurion. The two actually kind of work together in this, you know, one reaction rising to the level of the centurion, the Gentile guy. He acknowledges Jesus for who he is. He can't even come into his presence. He knows he's not worthy. And Jesus commends his faith. These people, they see a a dead boy raised from the dead. And rather than seeing it as seeing Jesus for who he is. They think he's just a great prophet. You see, you see what I'm saying? So the, the, those are kind of the themes that you can work with, with in this text. But nowhere in this text is it even hinted at that Jesus all of a sudden needed to run down to the temple and go through purification ceremonies because he'd made himself ceremonially unclean. In fact, nowhere do you find Jesus ever once making a sin offering for himself or going through a cleansing ritual because he had become unclean. Um, How can somebody who heals a dead person be accused of touching the dead person? The person was no longer dead once Jesus touched them. Same with lepers. Jesus actually reached out his hands and grabbed onto lepers, and their leprosy left them. So did Jesus break the, the the purification laws by doing so? Absolutely not. 
And what Sergio is doing here is basically showing that he has no clue what's going on in this text, but he's absolutely certain it's really all about you because God wants you to know that you're not ready to die yet. Yet the point of Christianity is to make it so you're ready to die. We continue. Sometimes God has to do things a little different to get us back on track. God has to some, even break his own rules to make sure that you get saved and that your life gets changed. Because sometimes we think we're so far from God. We could think that we're so far from the touch of God. We think sometimes we're so far from what God could do in our life. But I've come from San Diego to tell you, you're not ready to die. Your marriage isn't ready to die. Your family's not ready to die. Your business isn't ready to die. Someone on this place is going to rise up and get back up and go live there 2003 with breakthrough break 2013 you meant um really so um you're there to announce to people that jesus is there to show up so that their marriage doesn't die their business doesn't die and all that kind of stuff that's not what this passage is about there's no general promise that jesus is going to keep your business from dying just because he raised the from the dead the son of the widow of nain that's not even a valid conclusion from this text at all unless of course you read yourself into the passage it was available to you through jesus it all starts with you letting them touch your life so i want you to write these four things down number one you know you're ready to die when you've conquered what's conquered you see you're not so you know you're ready to die when you conquer what's conquered you i thought i have a savior in jesus jesus is the one who conquered Sin, death, the grave, right? He's the great conqueror. I know I'm ready to die because I'm in Christ and he's conquered all of that for me. This isn't Christian. Ready to die until you've conquered in your generation what you need to conquer so that the next generation doesn't have to conquer it. You know this to be true, those of you that have families. Whatever you don't conquer in your generation, you will leave for the next generation to conquer Really, do you have any Bible verses that teach this? So, yeah, we better get quick. Quick, you better get to conquering all this stuff so we don't leave the next generation to have to conquer it. we got to conquer it for them. Where are you getting this theology? This is screwy. You have an anger problem and you don't deal with that anger problem in your generation, you will transmit that to the next generation. How many families today, there's abuse, there's addiction, there's anger, there's rage, there's divorce, there's adultery. All these issues that exist because we don't conquer them in our generation, so the next generation has to deal with them. But hog wash. The Bible doesn't teach this at all. Ephesians chapter uh, 2, please, if you have your Bible, flip on over. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead. Talking to the the people in the church in Ephesus. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind kind do you know why you sin it's because you're a sinner you are born dead in trespasses and sins and you were by nature an object of god's wrath that's why you sin okay in other words okay it doesn't matter how much your generation or my generation cleans up its act 
if we procreate, our children will be born in the same condition, dead in trespasses and sins. They've inherited from Adam their sinful natures. It's given to all of us. So the, it's not as if, well, what we need to do is clean up our act, and then the next generation won't have the same problems we do. The generation that comes up next is going to be just as sinful you know, as we are, because we're all sinners. See, that's the reason why you sin is because you're a sinner. You don't, you're not a sinner because you sin. You are a, you sin because you're a sinner. You, you see what I'm saying? I've come to tell you, God says, you ain't ready to die until you conquer your Goliath in your generation. The Bible says in the book. Really? I'm not ready to die until I conquer my Goliath in my generation. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm 44 years old and I'm overweight. I am just not interested in taking on any Goliaths. Nope. Won't do it. Too old. Too tired. Don't want to do it. Send somebody else. I'm not going to do it. So does that mean I'm disobeying God? Oh, by the way, um, I don't have any Goliaths to conquer. Okay? Because that story isn't about me conquering any Goliaths. So you saying, thus saith the Lord, you're not ready to die until you conquer your Goliaths? You've just blasphemed God because God doesn't say that. And his word doesn't teach it either. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 46. David told Goliath, today the Lord will conquer you. I will kill you and I will cut off your head. Then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds, the wild animals, and the gators outside of the church. Come on, somebody. And the whole world, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Let me share this with you. David listens to Goliath taunt his father, taunt his brothers, taunt the king, taunt all the mighty men of the city. And David comes to this conclusion. If this Goliath is not conquered in this generation, he will enter my generation and continue to debilitate, weaken, and cripple my generation. There wasn't a man on the planet that would stand up to Goliath. See, David saw Goliath cripple his father's confidence. He saw Goliath weaken the strength of the soldiers. He saw Goliath break his brothers down. David said, hold it. Not while I'm alive. David said, I ain't ready to die until I take out the Goliath in my generation so that the... Yeah, actually, there isn't a single passage you can find in that account where David says, I'm not ready to die until I take out the Goliath in my generation. You just put that into the biblical text. So already you've, let's see, you've blasphemed God. You've made Jesus a sinner. You've inserted information added to the Bible, stuff that isn't there. Um, This guy isn't a man of God. God isn't speaking through this man. He's an agent of the devil. This generation can know that there is a God that could take down the Goliaths in your life. Hear me what I'm telling you? Parents, mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, grandparents, there are issues sometimes that exist in our life, and they are there like Goliaths storming down. No, they're not there like Goliaths. Um, the story of David and Goliath isn't about you or me, and Goliath is not the the things and the burps and the hiccups that are keeping me from experiencing my God potential. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. 
down on us, mocking us, laughing at us, telling us that we can't when God said we can. They'll even tell you, stay in your coffin. Let them nail you in. You're dead. You're done. Really, stay in your coffin. I'm not in a coffin yet. Um, if the Lord tarries, uh, there's a coffin with my name on it. And you know what? Here's the deal. Once they put me in it, nobody's going to have to tell me you stay in it. Yeah, I will just do that because I won't be able to do otherwise. You're gone, but I've come to tell you, God says, you ain't ready to die until you've conquered what's conquered you. Yeah, you keep saying that. God says you're not ready to die until you conquer. No, God doesn't say this. You're blaspheming. That the next generation can know breakthrough. Come on, they can know what it is to see breakthrough and victory in their life. I'm telling you today, your family's going to change. Give them praise today, church, because your family's changing. Your yeah, you sound like a snake oil salesman. Family's changing, but it takes you making the decision. I'm going to conquer what's conquered me. Number two, you ain't ready to die. Write this down. Until you've revolutionized your generation for Jesus Christ. Every generation. What does the word revolutionize mean? Where in the Bible am I told to revolutionize my generation for Jesus Christ? By the way, um, yeah, I'll die when Jesus says I'm good and ready to die. Whether I want to or not, it's going to happen. Um, so you're saying I can't die. I'm not ready to die until I conquer what's conquered me. Despite the fact that the good news is that Christ conquered sin, death, and the devil for me. And now you're telling me that I'm not ready to die until I revolutionize my generation for Jesus. Hmm. How would I go about doing such a thing? Um, I'm not sure I, I even like the verb, revolutionize. Okay? Um, yeah, it sounds rebellious to me. ...has a responsibility. Even David said this in the verse that we read. So that the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Sometimes I think what happens to us is we get fooled by the purpose of our life. Pick up on this. Sometimes we think that the purpose of our life is to accumulate as many goods as possible, to accumulate as much wealth as possible, to accumulate properties and degrees, and those things are great. We can even assume that the purpose of life is to have a family and get married. And the real purpose of life isn't that. That can be a purpose in your life, but the purpose of our life has to be as believers that we will let this generation know that regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what you've been through, there is a God that will save you, change you, transform you. If you and I become the voice to this generation, then this generation will have hope. You and I must revolutionize our generation for Jesus Christ before we die. You may be sitting there looking at me and saying, Pastor Sergio from San Diego, you don't even know what I've been through, and you're absolutely right, but I know someone that can help you get through, and I know someone that will break you through and I know someone that will set you free so that you can let the friends around you know they don't have to stay that way they could change too this world though it says it needs the economy change it needs a new political structure though this world says that what we really need are new principles and policies I've come to tell you what this world needs today is a church that'll be on fire for God men and women that'll get on fire for God and let them know Jesus Christ is still the answer for this generation well, your Jesus Christ isn't because your Jesus Christ is a sinner. He broke the Levitical law, remember? Your Jesus isn't the biblical Jesus. Come on, potential church. 
Now watch this. Let me show you this biblically. Biblically, the yeah. So far, every time you've tried to show us anything biblically, you've really come up short. Bible teaches us in Acts chapter thirteen, verse thirty-six. David had served God's purpose in his own generation, and then he fell asleep and was buried. See, David didn't sit down on his couch until he finished. Yeah, let's put that in context. I feel like you're trying to pull a fast one again. Acts chapter 13, verse 36. Okay, three primary rules for sound biblical exegesis are context, context, context. So Sergio here is sitting on the couch telling us that Acts 13, 36 tells us that David didn't just sit on the couch. He got up and did something. Is that really the point of what's going on in Acts chapter 13? Okay. Um, no, that's actually not what's going on at all. This is a sermon recorded for us. One of Paul's sermons that he preached and delivered. This is an evangelistic sermon that was delivered in a synagogue. Okay. In fact, let me read to you Acts chapter 13. I'll start at verse 13. Here's what it says. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as their inheritance. All of this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. All of this man's, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior. Jesus. Let me read that again. Verse 23 is the important transition. Notice who Paul's preaching about. Jesus. Of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he has promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me is one coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. And brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree, laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up uh, with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses 
to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, as he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. So let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Do you get it? So here we've got Sergio quoting Acts 13.36 as somehow proof that David radically revolutionized his, his generation by certain... That's not the point of this passage at all. The point is this, is that Paul in this point in his sermon was making the point that Jesus was stone cold dead, but that he rose again from the dead. And so his point is, verse 35, therefore, he also says in another Psalm, you will not let your Holy One, that's Jesus, see corruption. For David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, the one who authored that Psalm, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. So let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That's what's going on here. This is an argument for Christ's resurrection. And Sergio has just ripped this passage out of context. Not only has he blasphemed Christ, blasphemed God, accused him of being a sinner. Now he's completely missed the whole point of what's going on in Acts 13. We continue. He was supposed to finish. I've come to tell you, some of you are just chilling. You're chilling like a villain. And I'm telling you, you're not supposed to sit down. You know enough about the Bible to lead people to Jesus. Some of you, you've been gifted, talented, anointed, and appointed. My goodness, you could sing better than the songbird. Some of you could play, you could dance. Some of you could teach. Some of you, you've got skills and abilities. And some of you, you're letting the world get the best of you. The world is getting the best of your gift. And by the time we get to church, we're so tired and burned out, we can't help the church in any way because we can barely make it here. Well, I've come to tell you, that is not the purpose of your life. David said, I have no right to sit down on my couch until I get up and I serve this generation well. At 17 years old... David never said that. There isn't a single passage that says it. You've added to scripture. You're lying. David said, I may not have a title, but I've got a slingshot, I've got five rocks, and I'll take this joker Goliath down with the gifts and abilities that I have. I know there's some of you today, and you're asking yourself, what can I do for the kingdom of God? It isn't what can you do, it's what can't you do. Everyone could do something for Jesus. In this generation, your generation, our generation needs to know that we just didn't live for ourselves, that we live for someone greater than ourselves. Yes, you may have a past, but you also have a future. Yes, you may have done some things, but now you're doing things different. Yes, you were known in the streets one way, known by your family one way, but why don't you finish the story and let them know you were this, but now you're this. You were in darkness, but now you're in light. Someone in this place has a testimony. Someone in this place can revolutionize their generation. And I've come to tell you, you ain't ready to die until you've done all that God says for you to do. Come on, somebody.
why would I want to root for this? You're totally mangling God's word and blaspheming God. I said, come on, potential church. Come on. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, you're at potential. They're not a church yet. What are you waiting for? You may be looking at me saying, Pastor Sergio, you don't know I've got issues, hangups, heartaches, butt aches, and everything aches. Well, I've come to tell you, Jesus will take you as you are. Jesus took this dead boy and said, you may not think you need him. Jesus says, I need this young joker. Get out of that coffin. Get out of that condition you're in. I've got use for you, young man. The Bible says he gets back up. He gives him to his mother and everyone gets fired. What translation of Luke 7 are you reading from again? Your own? Because they see in their generation that there is something greater than death. Come on, someone's got to be a testimony for Jesus. Look at you. You're not the same person that you were before. It is a miracle that some of you came to church today. I've come to tell you that right now. Some of you, you were clubbing last night and you're in church today. That is a miracle. If your friends would have known that you're in church today, they would throw a party just because you came to church today. Why? Because you ain't done. God ain't done with you. You still got work to do. Come on, potential church. Let's change our generation. You ain't ready to die. Tell the person next to you, you ain't ready to die. Actually, I am. I'm ready. I'm in Christ. You know what? I know that as soon as I die, I will be in his presence. I'm washed, forgiven. I'm in him. My sins are gone. It's wonderful. I'm ready to die. That's what Christianity has prepared me to do. Tell the person next to you, I kind of like this Sergio guy. Yeah, no, I wouldn't say that to anybody. Number three, write this down. Are you ready for more? No, I need more enthusiasm. You ready for more? No, I don't like this. You're blaspheming God. You're adding to God's word. You're twisting his word. You've just turned Jesus into a sinner. You don't know what you're doing. Come on, you got to fire up your guest speaker. Are you ready for more? There you go. Write this down. You ain't ready to die until you restored your relationship with your children. Sometimes as a parent, as a grandparent, you could just sit down on the... I don't have a strained relationship with any of my children. So does that mean I'm ready to die? All of this is the things I have to do. Why don't you tell me what Jesus has done for me? Out your parenting. You sit here... Just like Pastor Nathan, Pastor Roy said, you know, like Pastor Nathan, you start taking out your McDonald's, you start taking out your, your orange soda, and just, just sitting down as a parent, just letting the kids do what they want, and, and you start, you know, giving up, and you start giving in, you start saying things like, well, you know what, I've already did my part, let them do what they're going to do, you know the way kids are. Who told you that? You know... It doesn't take long for a parent to realize the pain of knowing that the relationship with their son and daughter isn't what they thought it was going to be. You didn't have children so that they can leave you and be estranged from you. You didn't, God didn't give you those sons and daughters so that now your relationship with them has become so fractured and dysfunctional that you can't connect with them. Tonight at the five o'clock service, I'm going to be talking about the seven things every family needs to succeed. You want to succeed this year? You need one of these seven things. Mm, really? I don't recall as I've read my Bible, the seven things that I need for my family to succeed. Huh? I mean, if, if, if this was really a biblical teaching, wouldn't we all already know those seven things? 
One of these seven things have been tested, tried, and proven. I'm going to talk to you about the process of healing. I'm going to tell you how God, the five stages of healing in this message. I'm going to speak a little more about it tonight. I'll have a little bit more time. But I want you to know this, that it is so important that this year you get things right with your children. Because you ain't ready to die. You ain't ready to sit down on this. Now, this is all law. This is, this is the wrong use of the law, too. Couch and say, I've already raised them. They have their own families. But you ain't ready to die. Well, you know what? They won't listen to me. I'm telling you, you ain't ready to die. Well, you know, they've left me. You ain't ready to die. Someone has got to make the first step. Someone's got to take that first step. There's a son in this place. I've come to tell you, you need to be like Joseph. You need to bring restoration and healing to your father. Look what the Bible says. Genesis 45, 26. Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But when he told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Mm-hmm. You are aware of the fact that at that point in the story in Genesis... Jacob had believed that Joseph was dead. And you know why he thought he was dead? Because his other sons sold him into slavery and then made made it look like he'd been torn to pieces by a wild animal by taking his coat of many colors and dipping it in blood. And so as far as Israel knew, Joseph was dead. Okay, well, it turns out that he wasn't and that God had sent him ahead into Egypt ultimately to save his family. And at this point in the story, Joseph had revealed himself to his brothers as his brother and told them, go tell my father I'm alive. Okay? So this is the story of how Joseph's you know, report, the report that Joseph is alive, was being told to their father. This wasn't just, this wasn't Joseph going out and going, you know... My dad and I, we just haven't gotten along ever since I was sold into slavery, and it's terrible. I hate the fact that he never calls me, he never writes, and I'm going to be the bigger man, and I'm going to reconcile with my father. Is that what the story's about at all? Jacob said to Joseph, Joseph, now I'm ready to sit down on the couch and die, since I've seen your face again and know you're still alive. See, Jacob was on the couch, bummed out, broken down, because his son Joseph wasn't around. He was wondering what he was going to (laughs) do. You don't even know the story, do you? Jacob was on the couch, bummed out because his son wasn't around. He thought he was dead. (sighs) He was bummed out. He needed a breakthrough. So he came to Potential Church, and at Potential Church, God spoke to him in a powerful way. Now he knows what to do. Now he knows that Jesus can see him through. Come on, somebody, I'm bursting out a cool rap. You should give God praise. That was a rap? Oh, okay. Here's the point. Jacob was sitting on this couch, but when he saw his son, who he hadn't seen for 13 years, walk in the house... The Bible says his spirit revived. He came back to life. No, actually, at, at uh, point forty, at chapter forty-six in Genesis, no, J- Joseph did not walk into the house. He still had duties in Egypt. You don't even know the story, do you? It's clear you have no clue what the Bible's about. You know why? 
There are some things that only a son or daughter can do for their parents that no one else can do. You know, your parents have high blood pressure. Maybe it's because they need the relationship restored with you. Parents are suffering from mental illness. Maybe they're struggling with migraine headaches. Maybe they're full of stress. It could very well be that there's a relationship that needs to be restored. I've come to tell you, you ain't ready to die until you restore your relationship with your family. And when you do that, you're going to experience divine healing. And 2003 will be a year like no other. Somebody give them praise because the breakthrough's coming to your family. He keeps saying 2003. It's 13. You ain't ready to die. Come on, potential church. Tonight, I need you to come back with a notepad and to take more notes. I'm going to teach you these seven things and it's going to trigger things in you and change the trajectory of your family. But I want to close with number four. Write this down. You ain't ready to die until you've cried out to God for a second chance. Everyone say a second chance. Say it again. Second chance. Do you realize everyone in life eventually will need a second chance? Okay, by the way, the gospel is not the good news that Jesus is giving you a second chance. That would be bad news, okay? Let me use Rick Warren's famous mulligan illustration because a few years back on national television during a Christmas sermon, Rick Warren um, told everybody that was tuning in that Jesus came to give us a mulligan. That would be a second chance. By the way, in golf, those are not legal. Those, that, those are against the rules. But he th- said he likes mulligans, okay? So here's the idea. The, apparently, the gospel is the good news that Jesus has come to give you a second chance. So let's roll with it for a second, okay? So you messed up, right? You've sinned, right? Okay, well, here's the good news. Okay, God's going to give you a second chance. And you know what that means, right? That the second time around, he's you, you've got to get it right the second time. Otherwise, you're going to burn in hell. Is that good news? No, because you know you, you are going to burn through your second chance. You're going to need a third chance. You're going to need a fourth chance and a fifth chance and a sixth chance. See, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not the good news that Christ has come to give you a second chance. If that were the case, then nobody is saved and literally everybody's going to hell because it doesn't matter how many chances you're given, you're not going to get it right. Okay. Instead, the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ is sinless. Okay. Remember the point that he, he just made Jesus a sinner, which by the way, he's not. Jesus is sinless. And why is this important? Okay, it's important because the scriptures teach that his sinless righteousness is imputed to you as if you're the one who lived it. Okay, let me give you a passage to back this up. Philippians chapter three, starting at verse two, Apostle Paul writes, says, look out, watch out for those dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. But if anyone else has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now check out his pedigree here regarding law-keeping. Paul writes, he says, "Um, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, 
blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them, all of his good works, as rubbish. Actually, it's far stronger than rubbish. It's scubala, and it that's just basically a big pile of dog stuff, okay? I count all of my good works as scubala in order that I might gain Christ, now watch this, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So here's the good news. We're brought to repentance and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins Remember, on the cross, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of our sin was imputed to Jesus as if he's the one who committed it. He was punished as the sinner. And when you're brought to faith in Christ, his sinless, perfect righteousness is imputed to you as if you lived it. You are now declared righteous and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Okay? This is far better than any second chance. Okay? Think of it this way. Okay? Okay, Let me use the golf metaphor again here. Okay? Those of you who don't play golf, I apologize. Just Golf is a difficult game, by the way. Okay? And in golf, certain golf courses are notoriously known for being difficult. Okay? In, in, in the state of New York, there is a, a golf course called Bethpage Black. Okay? It is a very difficult course. Okay? If you are a scratch golfer and you play Bethpage Black from the tips, okay, um, you're going to score in the mid to high 80s, okay? That's just how difficult this course is, okay? Now, I want you to basically imagine this, okay? In order for you to be saved, you need to shoot a perfect round or better, that's par or better, at Beth Page Black from the tips during Hurricane Sandy, okay? So the winds are hurricane strength. If you score... Worse than perfect um, at Bethpage Black during Hurricane Sandy, you're going to burn in hell for eternity. Okay? That's how it works out. Okay? That kind of gives you an idea. If you're going to be saved by the law, you got to keep it perfectly. That gives you an idea of just how difficult this particular feat is going to be. So everybody in humanity tries their best to – you only get one chance at this too, by the way. They try their best to score perfectly or better at Bethpage Black during hurricane the perpetual Hurricane Sandy that hangs out around there. No one's done it. And then comes onto the course Jesus. And you know what? He does it. He scores. In fact, it's better than perfect. It's it's like the most amazing round ever, okay? And here's what happens. Christianity teaches not that you have a second chance to go and do it again because now that Jesus has done it, he's shown you how to do it, so therefore you can go out and and now you can score a perfect round like him. No, that's not what Christianity teaches. Here's what it teaches. That Jesus Christ has his scorecard and he's left the name blank. And he says to you, give me your scorecard. I'm going to sign it with my name. Here's my scorecard. Sign it with your name. You are saved. 
That's Christianity. That's imputed righteousness. That's the gospel. Claiming that we have the Jesus is giving us a second chance, that ain't good news. That's absolutely bad news that damns you for eternity. And here's Sergio's preaching. And of course, he made Jesus a sinner earlier. So it's clear. Sergio has absolutely no clue at all what the gospel is or what Christianity teaches or even what the Bible really says. And there is no shame to asking for a second chance. Sometimes we struggle to ask for a second chance. I kind of like Pastor Nathan. He's sitting on the couch today. He's chilling. He's drinking his soda. He's eating his McDonald's. But then Pastor Roy comes along and stirs him up, gets him to believe that though he started off, fell off the couch, he could get back up again and get a second chance. And sometimes we think that second chances are only given to people that, you know. But I've come to tell you, sometimes even kings need a second chance. Sometimes people who you thought would never ask for a second chance are the very ones that need the second chance. There's no shame in asking for a second chance. But God says, will you ask for it? Let me read to you the story of a king who needed a second chance in the Bible. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1, About this time, King Hezekiah became sick and almost died. The prophet Isaiah went to him and said, The Lord tells you that you are to put everything in order. You will not recover Get ready to die. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed, Remember, Lord, I have served you faithfully and loyally, that I have always tried to do what you wanted me to do. And he began to cry bitterly. You know the rest of the story. The Bible says as Isaiah is leaving his palace, God stops him halfway and says, Isaiah, go back. Hezekiah asked for a second chance. He goes back and he says to the king, King, because you asked for a second chance, God is going to give you years because you're not ready to die. When you ask for a second chance, all of heaven comes to your aid. When you ask for a second chance, all of heaven comes to help you. And the story of Hezekiah doesn't prove this at all. Again, out of context, no concern. He has has absolutely no concern for what any of this says. In context. I mean, seriously, this guy has no conscience. What he's doing with God's word is absolutely unconscionable. Do you think that you're going to somehow escape judgment, Sergio, for what you're doing with God's word and what you're claiming regarding God, even though no word of God says any of this nonsense? When you ask for a second chance, it's like God sends angels to assist you to break through. You just need to be willing to ask for a second chance. And what verse says this? The story of Hezekiah doesn't promise this to everybody. This is the story of one man. How else will you live a different 2013 if you don't ask for a second chance? See, the picture of your life perhaps has started this way, but God can change the picture of your life if you give him permission to come inside of your heart. Some of you, you're listening to me today. I want you to know that you're here because Jesus wants to change you. He wants to become your Lord and Savior. He wants to forgive you of all of your sin. And he wants to give you a clean slate in 2013 and get you started living the life you were meant to live. But you have to ask for a second chance. But today, perhaps my words have failed to communicate to you what I believe God wanted you to hear. 
I want you to watch this video and I want you to see if you don't find yourself in it or someone that you know. Because God wants to give second chance. Yeah, if, if, total communication failure. I'm, I'm with that theory. Because you, you ain't ready to die. Uh-huh. After, we're going to pray and God's going to do a miracle. Take a look at this today. I'm going to fast forward through the video because it's a music video and it doesn't really help us out, whatever. But apparently he's he thinks this is going to touch everybody's heart because it's somehow clever, but it doesn't actually have scripture in it, so it doesn't really help us. But here we are at the end of the video. Here we go. Come on, give them praise today. Wasn't that powerful? Come on, why don't you stand with me today? No, it wasn't. It's not a coincidence that you're here. That's manipulation. Let me read a verse of scripture to you as you remain standing. Why should I think you're actually going to tell me what it really says, considering you haven't been able to handle, rightly handle a single passage of scripture in this entire sermon? You even said Jesus broke the Levitical law. That would make him a sinner. 2 Samuel 22, verse 21 says, God made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. Where are you getting this? This isn't what this passage says. Oh, I know. You're reading from the message paraphrase, aren't you? We continue. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. <laughs> That's not what this text says at all. You're reading from the message, which isn't even a translation. Indeed, I've kept alert to God's ways. I haven't taken God for granted. Every day I review the way he works. I feel put back together again. Uh-huh. Again, this is from the message. That happens when you say yes to Jesus. When you say, Jesus, I've been wrong, but I want to get right. Jesus, I want to know what it is to know you. Jesus, I want a new start. I want a new heart. Jesus says, if you'll say yes to me, I'll say yes to you. Um, passages, please, that say this. And it means that you're going to change your life. It means you're going to leave your old life behind. It means that you're going to say, This is all law. Can you tell me anything that Jesus has done for me, please? Yes, to a new life in Christ, and that you're going to serve him with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. God's not looking for Yeah, that's the law. Christ has kept the law for me. Perfection. Let me tell you, God would never expect perfection from you. He knows that you're... And yet Jesus says, Be ye perfect as... My heavenly father is perfect. Hmm. Still going to have issues, but he just wants you to be in his family so we can love you, nurture you, strengthen you, and become the new person you've been called to be. Yeah, this is as convoluted as Chuck Pierce's prophecies. Maybe you're here today. And cue sappy music. It's the guitars. And you're a believer. Actually, the piano's been going on for a while. And you've disconnected from God. And you feel like... I love him, but I've been away from him. I want to come back to him. I want my heart to get reconnected. He says, come, I'll rewrite the story of your life. You see, when you give God... Where does it say that God will rewrite the story of my life? ...pen of your life, where you put a period, he puts a comma. Ah. This young boy, everybody put a period. This boy is dead, he's gone. Jesus took the pen and said, no, I've come to put a comma 
where you put a period and finish the story of his life because he ain't ready to die. Come on, somebody. Yeah, why am I supposed to be excited about that? All right, so that was Sergio de la Mora and success in 3D Part 2 over at Potential Church. And so what do we learn today, folks? That Jesus apparently broke the Levitical law. That would make him a sinner in need of a Savior himself. Therefore, Jesus isn't uh, your Savior. And worse, that Jesus came to give you a second chance, which basically means you're in eternal peril of the wrath of God because even if God gave you a thousand chances or ten thousand chances or a million chances, you still wouldn't be able to get it right. (sighs) Unbelievable. Yep, uh, every time we tune into Potential Church to see if they've earned the right to become a church again, because they're only a church in Potentia, what do we learn? Yeah, they get farther and farther away from actually being a church because they have no clue what the Bible's about. No clue whatsoever. Unbelievable. So what'd you think? I'd like to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me, you can. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ. It's vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.